Yo, Redemption, it is Baptism Sunday. Can we give one more round of applause to all the... And yes, that was my girl up there. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. Today is Baptism Sunday, and we're going to be baptizing uh, folks at the party out front after the service to the right. So plan to hang out and be here for a little bit. It's going to be a blast. And I want to talk a bit about baptism today. You know, at first glance, it is kind of a confusing ritual. Like if you were an outsider kind of coming in and looking at you going, dude, what is going on here? Like dude's taking a quick bath in public, right? Like by the pastor <laughs> with all their clothes on, that's, it. Ooh, that's good. Uh, but we kind of accuse it, like, why are they doing this baptism thing? What is that about? So I want to open us, giving us kind of six quick points, six points on what baptism is, give us some hooks into the significance, because baptism is powerful. So first, a baptism is a sign of Jesus' death and resurrection, that Jesus went down into the grave and God raised him back up. A second... It's also a sign of our union with Christ, that we are united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection, dying to ourselves that we might live unto God. Third, Jesus commands it. In Matthew 28, he actually says, hey, if you want to be, uh, follow me in essence, you need to be baptized. It's a public identification with him. Uh, third, or fourth, actually, uh, that it is a means of grace that throughout history, whether you're Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, have all understood this, the church has understood this as a sacrament, a means of grace, something that God has ordained to communicate something of himself through. Fifth, baptism is also a public sign. Like you can't get baptized alone by yourself in your bathtub, right? Like it is a public declaration of going, I'm with Jesus thick and thin, he and me, ride for life, right? So it's, a, it's a public sign. And sixth, finally, it is a sign of our entrance into the church that we are united not only with Christ, but with the body of Christ, welcomed into the life of his people as sons and daughters of God. So baptism is powerful. It's a powerful thing that we're gonna be doing today. But I wanna focus in our message today, not so much on what baptism is, as rather on why someone would want to be baptized. We heard some stories there, and uh, there are going to be about a dozen other folks, and it's just an ask ourselves, why would you want to be baptized? What is the kind of thing that would bring you to the point of going, hey, I want to do this? And as I was praying uh, recently, I really felt God impressing on me the story in 2 Kings 5, the story of Naaman, and it's getting dunked in the Jordan River. And we're going to be there this morning. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to 2 Kings 5, that's where we're going to be this morning. And as I've been pressing into that, I felt like I was impressing that on me and um, I take that loosely. But as I, as I jumped in, I was like, man, I really feel like God has some special things for us here today. So we're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, and first thing to note is that the story of Naaman, it's a, it's a BC story, right? It's before Christ. This is an Old Testament story. So it's not explicitly about Christian baptism, per se. But Israel understood this as a baptism story. And the church has historically understood this as a foreshadowing of Christian baptism and what God has done for us in Christ. So the title for the message this morning is Down in the Water. If you would tell your neighbor, jump on in. The water's fine. <laughs> All right, let's jump in. Second Kings 5, verse 1, we read. And Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, 
He was a great man, a great man with his master and in high favor because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Stop here. One of the first things we see here, a sneak preview. Naaman's gonna get baptized by the end of the story, but that's not where he starts, right? We're gonna see that what drives you to baptism is what's beneath your armor. It's what's beneath your armor. Now, Naaman, we read that he was a great man. He was a military commander. He was a five-star general like Colin Powell or General Stanley McChrystal, and he had won the victories and stood on the podium. He had been in the spotlight at the parade. Yet it's interesting, the text says that God had won these victories by him, or could be translated through him. And how many of you know there's a difference between God doing something through you versus something coming from you, right? That it can be easy and tempting to think that the successes that we have, the victories we've won, the accomplishments that we've garnered, that these are things that come from us And if we think it all comes from us, we can kind of get puffed up with pride. But the reality is that, no, you and I, we're just stewards of the gifts God's given and what he wants to do through you. There's a humbling that comes when we realize that our successes and accomplishments are not ultimately from us, but they're from the gifts that God has given us to be stewarded through us. It humbles you when we realize that we are merely vessels that God wants to pour himself through in the world. But Naaman is a... Great man, we read. Goes on to say he is a mighty man of valor. He is a great man. But one other thing it tells us is that Naaman had a big butt, right? Had a big butt, like not in the Sir Mix-a-Lot sense, right? Rather, it says, though he was a great man, a mighty man of valor, verse one, but he was a leper. He had leprosy. That's a big butt. Naaman has all these success and the accomplishments, the thing on the outside, but there's something afflicting him beneath his armor. There is something uh, that speaks to his fragility. And I wonder what it was like for Naaman when he first caught that first spot in the mirror and maybe tried to wash it off with some water in the sink, but it wouldn't wash away. And the fear that maybe crept in or the threat to all that he had built, all of his accomplishments, the awareness of how fragile it all was. And to the outside world, Naaman was a successful man with so much, but beneath the armor, he was fragile and human like the rest of us. You know, one of the tragedies of this last year was the untimely death of Chadwick Boseman best known as the superstar actor in Black Panther. Chadwick was a legendary actor, one of the greatest actors of our generation. He had played other characters like James Brown and Thurgood Marshall, uh, Jackie Robinson, but unbeknownst to us, he was battling cancer underneath. He died at 43, my age, last August. And when he passed, Uh, the family kind of let the world in on a secret that he had been secretly battling cancer the last four years. He had been diagnosed in 2016. And what this meant, uh, kind of amazingly, was that he had filmed seven of these movies while in between he was going through surgeries and chemotherapy. 
And the world was kind of shook as we took in the fact that while we have been watching our superhero fighting the good fight on screen, that behind the scenes, he was fighting another fight that we were oblivious to. That, man, he was on screen, he was Black Panther, right? Like fighting the good fight, but beneath the vibranium armor, he was human and fragile like the rest of us. And there is a reality that, that speaks to all of us. We have our successes, our accomplishments on the outside, but all of us are human and fragile. And what drives you to baptism is what's beneath your armor. That we have the successes, our victories, our accomplishments, the gifts we've been given to steward that are good things for God's good world. And yet we all find ourselves with our weaknesses, with our vulnerabilities, with the frailty and the fragility of our human condition. And the good news of the gospel is that the God who baptizes you is not looking for your victory. He's looking for your leprosy. He calls you to the waters, not to bring your success, but to bring your sickness. That God is not looking for your wins and your uh, accomplishments and your uh, wow factor. God is looking for your wounds. That as you and I come to the waters of baptism, we come bringing not our strength, we come bringing our submission because God is not looking for your trophies. He's looking for your scars. And this is still true for us today, for all of us who uh, perhaps have already been baptized, it speaks to our baptismal identity, we could say, right? That uh, continually, some of us still can veer or lean towards what we call performance Christianity, right? Like that God is more interested or impressed by the surface and what we can bring to the table. But no, the reality is, man, you can cover up sometimes where you're really at. Like we show up at church and it's like, amen, hallelujah, brother. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm hashtag blessed, you know? And, and we can kind of put on the face and the facade and like everything's all right, but underneath, man, you, you could be, be hurting. Some of you this morning are bringing some wounds. Our baptismal identity speaks to the power of grace. That the same God who brought us to the waters with our sickness is the same God who is still there for your wounds and your scars today. But to come to the God of grace, all you need is need. That's what we're gonna be celebrating today, baptism. Well, Naaman, he hears about the God of Israel, one true God through a little girl. Uh, There's a little girl in the story, a girl that uh, is actually a servant girl, even a slave girl of him. It's uh, one that his army, his military had raided Israel. They had conquered them and they had abducted, perhaps reading between the lines, maybe they killed her. He, he's responsible for the killing of her parents. We don't know, but now she is a war captive in a foreign land serving in the house of this mighty general. And yet she says to him in verse three, or she said to her mistress, she said, would that my Lord, Naaman, would that he were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. The word for Naaman's healing comes through one that he has heard. How many of you know that God can sometimes use the people you've wounded to speak prophetically into your life? And that 
As followers of Jesus, sometimes forgiveness is our greatest witness. I think of the power of this girl who speaks, even though she's been wounded by him, she speaks this word of would that he would go and find healing with the one who I know is with God and has that power. How many of you know that God can shake the world through a child? God can shake the world through children. I am excited. My 11-year-old daughter is getting baptized today, Aiden, and and I'm pumped. Yes, yes, I'm so pumped. And I love her so much, and I'd love her, even if she wasn't getting baptized, whatever, but I just love her so much, so proud of her, but I believe that God has the power in her life and the life of our kids here at Redemption Tempe to shake the city of Tempe, to shake the world through our children. Sometimes I think, you know, in order for Naaman to see this girl, one of the things is he had to look beneath the armor, right? He had to look beneath his armor because the text emphasizes he was a great man, but she was a little girl, which meant she was down low, probably beneath his line of sight. She couldn't meet the must be this tall to ride sign at Disneyland, right? And so for him to recognize and hear what God was doing in his life, he had to look down beneath his armor and see uh, the, the child that God had put in his midst as a mouthpiece. We see here that sometimes we underestimate our kids. We think, man, our kids can just be, um, man, you need to have this much experience, this many years under your belt, this many things in order for God to use you. But no, God can shake the world through our children. My daughter's 11. She's invited more people to our church this year than I have, and I'm the pastor, right? Like, <laughs> but more than that, man, when I think of redemption kids and what God is doing there, the beauty is, man, Serving and redemption kids, we see that not as babysitting, but as nation shaking, right? Like we're raising up warriors for God. When we are a church family seeking to cultivate the life of forgiveness, the life of hope, the life of looking to the God who can heal and restore and make whole in order that our kids, the next generation, will be able to witness and shake this world for Jesus, like this little girl has done in the story. And so this girl tells Naaman, hey, I know someone who can heal. And Naaman picks things up and he, he, he's getting ready uh, to go. And so let's pick up here in verse five. Verse 5b, it says, so he went, Naaman went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. What drives you to baptism See here is the recognition that worldly power can't save you. It's recognition that nothing in the world, the world can't save you. Naaman starts this journey like many of us would. He gathers his wealth. He he pulls together his gold. He pulls together his silver. He kind of empties the bank account, puts it all together. And he says he brings 10 pairs of clothes, which is not much for us. We all got that today. But back then, you think like, 10 Armani suits sort of, right? He's, he's pulling together kind of all his wealth, what he's got to bring, and, and he goes. So he's bringing his wealth, and he goes to the king, we read. It says he, he came in verse five, came to the king of Israel. Now, the only problem there is that the, 
The, the girl didn't say the king had the power to heal. The girl said the prophet. He was supposed to go to the prophet. So why does he go to the king? Well, I think Naaman, like you and I, is going, man, I, I know the way the world works. I'm going to the top dog, the man on top, the ruler, the one in power, and this is how we're gonna get things done. I'll bring, bring my wealth. We combine that with his authority. And, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy my healing and he's gonna use his power to make this healing happen. And so he shows up with all these hopes and expectations going to the top dog, the king of Israel. And the king responds saying, am I God? What are you looking to me? What do you think I, I can do? Am I God that I could kill you and make you alive? What, Naaman, are you expecting me to do? See, Naaman's going to the wrong person. It's like he needs surgery, but he's going to the butcher. It's like, yeah, I can cut you, but it's not the guy you want, right? Naaman's going to the king, and the king's going, I'm not, I'm not God, Naaman. I ain't God. I don't have the power to do that. You know, I, uh, I like having curly hair now. It's a dull but When I was a kid, I hated it. Uh, I always wanted straight hair. I was kind of a nerdy kid, reject, had the big glasses, the afro, and wanted to play with kids in the back playground, and they were kind of, oh, you're a little scared of me. And, and so I, I just kind of felt like, man, I, I just want to fit in, God, and I, I wish I just had straight hair so I could just fit in and be normal like the other kids, but um, I couldn't do anything about it. It was just out, it was out there, right? So uh, I stuck my finger in the light socket and just never, never went back. And, <laughs> but one day, I had a ray of hope. <clears throat> My mom let me know. She said, hey, today, Josh, we're not going to Supercuts. We're, we're cheaper. We're going to an actual, like a, like a barbershop. Like sorry, if you work at Supercuts, that's great. But, you know, he's like, we're, we're going to the, you know, like the, the, the fancy frou-frou barbershop, right? And uh, barber who really knows how to work with your curls. And I got excited. And, and I said, all right. And I, I made a little plan of action. I thought, this guy knows what to do. So I went to my bedroom, and I got my Zelda shirt. How many remember Zelda? Video game in the 80s. Link, it had a picture of Link, the main character on it, and he had kind of this straight, surfer, blonde, whatever, like, you know, like a wave shooting out over the horizon. And, and so I got that shirt on, and I wore it to the barbershop. And when he said, hey, so what kind of haircut do you want? I said, I want to look like Link. I want you to give me the Zelda, all right? And all my hopes and all my dreams. And, and the barber, he kind of stood back and laughed, and he was like, kid, I ain't God. <laughs> I can change the shape of your hair, but I can't change the nature of your hair. Like I can cut and trim and, and, and form the cosmetics and its contours, but I can't change the nature of your curl, right? I think similarly, Naaman's going to the king and the king's saying, Naaman, I, I ain't God. Like, I can, I, I can deal with the cosmetics, but I can't deal with what's under the surface. I can polish your armor, but I can't heal your leprosy, right? Similarly, baptism is recognizing that the powers of this world can't save you. That there are things in this world that can give us kind of a cosmetic shaping, but they can't cure the underlying affliction underneath. Because all of us, like Naaman, we have not only leprosy of the skin, we have a leprosy of the heart. 
We have our pride, our sin, our arrogance against God, and what that's done to us has corrupted our condition, and it means that we all, in essence, are crumbling over time. We all are heading towards the grave. And the reality is that there is no worldly power that can save you. That means your girlfriend can't save you, right? Like the one that you were thinking, man, this is it. She's gonna be it. She's gonna be the thing. I'm putting all my hopes and dreams on this. Then we get together and I'm looking at her to meet all the deep places inside. And we finally come to that point where she realizes and she turns and she's like, I ain't God, right? I can do, I can't do that. No idea. Or for some of you as well, you can't be God and fix them, right? Like thinking, man, I'm gonna fix his issues. I'm gonna change his thing. Man, by the time I get done with him, he's gonna be whoo, naming on the outside, whatever. And you get into it and then you realize like his issues run way deeper than I knew and I have way less power than I thought. And you gotta look in the mirror and remind yourself like, I ain't God. I can't change him. Baptism is recognizing that the powers of this world can't save you. That means that your body image can't save you. No amount of CrossFit or Orange Theory or Core Power or Peloton, like it can shape the cosmetic, it can polish the armor, but it can't fix what's underneath, right? That's not saying that it's bad, it's good, like uh, taking care of our health and all those kind of things. But for some of us, if it's driven by, due to desire for validation or to be uh, okay or accepted or any of those things, it's going, man, it can't provide that deeper thing. It can't save you. Your Enneagram number can't save you. Ouch, I'm gonna get in some trouble for this one. <laughs> no, but your Enneagram number, it can explain your behavior, but it can't excuse your behavior, right? It can be a tool for wisdom. Don't send the hate mail. I love Enneagram, it's great, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing on it. Like, Enneagram's fine, it's good. Uh, but it's all what you're looking to it for, and some of y'all gotta stop using your Enneagram number to excuse your sin, right? Like, I'm increasingly hearing people that are, that are going like, uh, man, I lost it, I blew up, I, I punched my friend, but that was just my number nine coming out. <laughs> like, or yeah, I broke my commitment, I bailed, on my prom, I bailed on my word, but that's just my wing five coming through, right? Like, <laughs> like no, it, it can be a good tool, but it can't save the deeper underlying condition beneath. And all the people and the things that we look to, that Jocko Willink, Brene Brown, Jordan Peterson, Oprah Winfrey, they can't save you. They can give you a lot of great wisdom and tools for living well and things uh, for, for that, right? Like, I'm not saying they're bad, but look to them uh, to get insight, but don't look to them for the right thing. Right? Don't look to them to save you because I think they themselves, they got in the room with you and that was the posture. They turn and go, hey, I ain't God. I can do a lot, but I can't do that. I can give you a good haircut, but I can't change your curl, right? And what is happening in baptism is a recognition that I've tried, I've brought my wealth, I've gone to those with power, I've looked for any means necessary in this world, but there's nothing that I've found that can save me, that can deal with the deeper underlying condition that I need a cure for. Jesus, it's you. I'm no longer looking to the powers of this world to save me. I'm looking to the God who in power made this world to save me, to raise me up in union with him. I love the words of prophet Elisha. Verse eight, he responds when he hears what's going on with Naaman and the king. And 
Elisha says, when he heard this, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let Naaman come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. What we find here is that the king looks within himself what he doesn't have to offer, but Elijah, Elisha looks up to God and what he has to offer. The king looks within and tells Naaman, I ain't God. But Elisha looks up and says, he is God. Elisha is pointing to the God who can save and the waters of baptism are a sign of going, I'm no longer looking within myself and what I can do to save myself. I'm no longer looking to the powers within this world. I'm turning from false saviors and I'm turning to Christ, you the living savior and entrusting myself to you. Jesus, I've, I've tried the ways of this world. The people who are getting baptized today, as you heard in the video, many of those stories are going, man, I tried to find meaning in, in substances. I tried just kind of sitting on the sidelines and, and doing this from the periphery. But now I realize that those ways don't work. Those things don't actually lead to life. Those things, uh, they can be good things. Some of those things can be good things, but they are not ultimately the things that can rescue me. And now, Jesus, I am looking to you as the God who can raise me up from under the waters into union life with you forever. Baptism emerges from a recognition while the powers of this world cannot save, the God who has made this world in power can. We entrust ourselves to him. All right, let's keep going. In... Verse nine, we read. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana, in Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, that's kind of rivers back home in Syria, are not those rivers better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. But his servants came near and they said to him, my father, it is great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. On baptism, God sends you down to the healing waters. God sends you down to the healing waters. We see here that Naaman is dunked in the Jordan. It's the Jordan River. And it's interesting to know this is the same river that Jesus is later baptized in, in the New Testament. It's also the same river that Israel was baptized in early in her history when God baptized her through the Jordan River into the promised land. So some of the reasons that churches historically seen this as a, like a foreshadowing Christian baptism. We also read that he dipped seven times. And that word dipped, it means immersed, or it can also be translated baptized. Uh, so it's not like he's just dipping his toe in the water. It's dipped like uh, 
soft serve ice cream at Topo. If you've been there, you get like the vanilla and like dipped, dunked in the lime and prickly pear sweet coating, right? Like he's getting dunked seven times in the Jordan. I think there's three things I want to point out, though, that we see here in Naaman's story that teach us three things about baptism. The first is that baptism humbles you. Throughout this whole story, God has been humbling Naaman. It starts when he realizes, man, the healing can't be found in Syria. It's actually found in Israel. I mean, it's not in the powerhouse where I'm a ruler. It's in the people that I've conquered. So he has to humble himself and go to Israel. And then he gets to Israel, and we read here that he comes to the front door, and Elisha won't even come out to meet him, right? Like he sends his, his bellboy, right? Which is really kind of indignity, right? You can imagine if like the prime minister of the United Kingdom, England, like shows up at your house, your front door, and rings the doorbell, and you know he's there, but you just kind of send your bellboy, hey, tell him I'm busy, I'm catching up on Seinfeld or something, right? And like that would be an indignity, it'd be a disgrace. Naaman is a foreign dignitary, someone with influence and prestige, and Elisha's at a given time of day. And so Naaman is humbled. He's like, I gotta leave Syria and go to Israel. And then when he goes to Israel, he goes to the king. He's like, dude, I, I can't go to the king, I go to the prophet. I gotta leave the royal palace and go out to some eccentric dude out in the sticks who camel hair and whatever else, and he won't even meet me at the door. And then finally, Elisha's like, you gotta go down the Jordan River. And he's like, I got out of that muddy little podunk river down here. Like, and he starts, all, all these other rivers back home are back. I gotta go down there. What is God doing? God is humbling Naaman. Because Naaman's problem is not only his leprosy of the skin, but also, I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, his leprosy of the heart. God is curing Naaman of his pride. All those things he thought had come simply from him that had actually been gifts of God through him, he had refused to acknowledge and recognize. God is humbling Naaman by bringing him down to the waters. And similarly, in baptism, baptism is a declaration of, it's a humbling thing to go, man, it's not about my great, I'm gonna go to these, this kind of simple elements, this water, but I'm actually gonna, Submit myself, God, to you. Again, I'm not coming, bringing my strength. I'm coming, bringing my submission and going, God, I need you. It's humbling to go, I don't have what it takes on the inside to do this on my own. Jesus, I need you, not just to accentuate my strengths, but to meet me in my weakness. Jesus, I need you to humble my pride so that I can find my freedom life with you. Jesus says, if you're going to find your life, you got to lose it. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you got to be willing to get down on your knees and serve. And God humbles you in baptism by going, it's not in those other things out there. It's the simplicity of coming to God, identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Going, it's not what I've done, Jesus. It's what you've done. I'm identifying with you in your death and your resurrection. It's not in me living isolated on my own. It's me becoming a part of your family, a part of your people. And so I'm being raised up in entrance to the church as sons and daughters in the family of God. Baptism humbles us by publicly declaring our dependence on Christ. 
A second observation here, though, is that baptism is powerful. At first, Naaman scoffs at the water. He says, um, he, he scoffs and says, man, are not Abana and Farpar, are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? So, man, I bet that Damascus, I bet the water there in the Jordan was probably like Tempe River, Town Lake River water, right? Like chemicals, a little dirty, whatever. And you can empathize with Naaman, he's just going, man, can I get some Dasani in here? Some Dasani pure water, maybe some LaCroix bubbly, like maybe some holy water shipped in from Rome. So I thought it would be you waving your hands over me. I didn't realize I was gonna have to go down. And he scoffs at the water. He says, this water, it's mundane. It's simple. It's dirty. It's, it, it, how is this water gonna do anything? What he misunderstands, however, is the power is not in the water itself. I'm sure there are many people who washed in the Jordan daily and they, it wasn't like they were coming out healed things. Power was not in the water of the Jordan itself. It wasn't magical. It, the power was in the God who had commandeered this water with his word and said, you're gonna go down to the water and I'm gonna save you through the water. Right? So for you and I, when it comes to baptism, baptism is powerful and I would admonish you, don't scoff at the water. Like there are some of us today, I believe that we uh, can minimize or have a reduced vision of actually what's going on in baptism. And so sometimes when we talk about it, we can say things like, well, no, Mr. Sand, you know, the power's not in the water itself. And yeah, everybody knows it's not in the water itself. But the thing that we can miss when we reduce it, we marginalize it, is that God has ordained this as the means for entrance into the life of his people for identification with Christ. And so, yeah, the water itself on its own doesn't save you, but God saves you through the water. There's no such thing in the New Testament as an unbaptized Christian because God has said, I'm ordaining this as the means, the public sign that you are identified with Christ and his death and resurrection. And it's a sign that you are with me, Jesus, and my people, and that I, you are secure, sealed in my covenant for eternity. So don't scoff at the water. Baptism is powerful. Finally, the third thing here is that baptism makes you a new creation. It says that his flesh was restored like that of a little child. And I find that powerful that the great man has become like a little child before his heavenly father. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he is a new creation. Jesus says that when we come to him and we worship him in spirit and truth, when we are baptized by the water and spirit, that we are born again, we are made new, we are born from above in the spirit of God, the presence of God, the very life of God. God's purpose, the reason, as those who are getting baptized today and for all of us who have been, God brings you down in order that he can raise you up. God puts you under the waters in order that he can pull you out. God humbles you in order that he might exalt you. God identifies you with the death of Jesus in order that you might be raised into the life of Jesus. A new creation in and through him and the power of his resurrection. And so as we look to Christ in faith, baptism is a sign that in Christ, in our union with him, God is making us a new creation. And I know it's possible to say like, man, I, I can look back times ago, man, I know I got baptized way back when, but man, I haven't been perfect since then. I, I've made some mistakes since then. As 
Nick put it, maybe I'll color outside the lines. And all of us, you've been baptized, we still color outside the lines. We still mess up, we still make mistakes, we still make them perfect. Does that mean that my baptism didn't work? No. Because baptism was never about you being perfect. It was about you entrusting yourself to the perfect God and the perfection of God's faithfulness. Who He is faithful even when we are unfaithful and within his covenant there is security in his love because God is saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can count on me through thick and thin. God's going, I am all in. Identify and be all in with me, Jesus is going, and I will be all in with you. Not even sin, death, or hell will be able to stop it. Jesus is committed to raising us being united with us in life with him forever. So that's what we're gonna celebrate today, uniting the united lives with Jesus, not scoffing at the water, but being identified with him. And for those who are getting baptized, it is a chance to go, hey, God, I'm bringing what's beneath the armor. I'm not scoffing at the waters. I'm no longer looking to the powers of the world to see me. God, I'm looking at you. And for those of us who have been baptized, it's a chance for us to remember the power and significance of our baptism. Maybe if you're someone who uh, hasn't been baptized and you're thinking about, man, I'd like to be, you come talk with me, come talk with any of us as pastors. We'd love, we're gonna have more baptism coming up soon. So come talk with us. We'd love to get you prepped and, and walk with you in preparation for the next one. But in the meantime, as we come to communion this morning, first we're gonna worship our God. As we come to communion, we come to another simple element. Simple elements of bread and wine, which like water on their own, are simple of themselves. And yet elements that God has ordained and consecrated, has commandeered through the power of his word and the presence of his spirit to communicate something of himself through. And so as we come to communion this morning, we come to Christ, a better name it. For Christ is the great commander over all the heavenly host of angel armies or heaven and earth. And Christ is our great commander who submitted himself to the waters of baptism in the Jordan and ultimately to the grave. Not because he had leprosy, but because we did. And through his victory now, he can cleanse us, white as snow, he can wash us clean, he can purify us and make us whole, bring us to himself. And so along those lines, we come, we take the, the bread, a sign of his body, made leprous, crumbling on our behalf that we might receive life from him. You may receive bread. Next we come to the wine, and the juice, a sign of his life poured out, cleanse us and make us whole. And you may receive the wine. And as we come now to worship Jesus with our voices, with our bodies, with our our lives. I invite you to bring what's beneath your armor. Come bring in this morning, not just your success, but your sickness. Bring to him whatever this morning, not, not just your trophies, but your scars. We continue to look to him going, we know there's a lot of great things in this world, but they don't have the ultimate power to save us. So we're looking to God as our savior, the one who arrested death to bring us up into life with him. And so would you uh, please stand and as you stand, would you join me in prayer?
Jesus, you are our greater Naaman, our better commander. God, you who went down into the waters, God, they symbolize of the grave in order to unite with us in our condition, God, not because you had leprosy, but because we did. United with us, though, to raise us up with you, washed and cleansed and newest of life. And so we celebrate baptism today, God, and we bring you, God, not our victories. God, we come and we bring you our leprosy. God, we bring you our wounds and our sickness and our sin. God, we come and we bring those to you, knowing that our baptismal identity means that we don't gotta live a performance Christianity. We're just kind of pretending and putting stuff on the surface. We can come to you as we really are knowing that you welcome us as your people to wash and cleanse and make us whole. And Jesus, we declare that there is nothing in this world that has the power to save. You have given so many good things to this world, but none of them have that ultimate power to save. And so we look to you as our salvation, Jesus, you as our savior. And we lift you up, God. We celebrate what baptism speaks to, that you are powerful and you have humbled us in order to exalt us to make us a new creation in life with you forever. Amen.